Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for time in it. Thank you. In your son's name, amen. Okay, you can tell from the sermon notes that we're in Matthew 15. And I don't know if it's a regular topic for me. It's been a number of years since I've been in this passage, but um, it, it surrounds the passage you see quoted at the top of the page, Isaiah 29, 13. The Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are from me, and their fear of me is a commandment of men learned by rote. Well, the Lord quotes that portion in the middle of chapter 15. And one of the things, we, we, we're really not, I imagine you've sinned, okay? At some point in your life you have done something you shouldn't have done. And let's say it's, you know, the usual icky sort of sinfulness, and you confessed it, you got right with God, but... And we can always preach against those things that you should not do, and you go, yes, preach it, brother. Don't do this, don't do that. I think those are helpful, helpful, healthy, good if we be reminded, but also, as you, you know, probably picked up over the years, I have a certain antipathy for church. Um, I got one of the cutest churches in town, and pews and everything, and um, I'm always finding those passages where the prophet or the Christ or the apostle is vague against religious people, because I think that's what we need to hear. We need to hear the sins that are incumbent upon what we're doing, the, the temptations that fall on us in how the, us being together. The disobedience that's available in religion is, uh, is noteworthy. The Pharisees, then Pharisees and scribes, came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, that follows, that's all the way into Paul's ministry, you see. James, when Paul goes back to Jerusalem and James, the brother of the Lord, comes to him and says, hey, people have heard you don't follow the traditions of the elders, the traditions of, the, uh, of Moses. Let's do something traditional so that they wouldn't suspect you of being so anti-Jewish. This is a deep-rooted thing. If you've ever been to a traditionally rooted church, even if it's a believing traditionally rooted church, all you have to do is move the flower arrangement on the altar by about five inches and somebody's going to be speaking to the pastor later on. This is one of the reasons why when Jim Belarjan couldn't do the Lord's Supper this morning because he was sick, I said, you know, it's probably better for our souls to just go, hey, we're not doing it. Somebody might, after about, I don't know how many months we've done this, maybe five, where we've had it at the last Sunday of the month, Somebody might be showing up going, I was expecting the Lord's Supper on the last Sunday of the month. Let's get bent out of shape at one another, shall we? Let's have a church split. We don't have much to split. We've already got the, the good students and the bad students. I mean, you know what? 
no, bad students and good students. The Pharisees come after, I mean, you have to be, I mean, Jesus didn't have the reputation then that he has now. We've got 2,000 years of Christianity. Everybody knows you don't give back chat to Jesus. But the Pharisees and the scribes did not recognize that. They just knew that they were in the driver's seat in religious discussions, and they wanted to know where you got off, Jesus, letting your disciples not wash their hands before now, some of, some of you say, well, it's not religious for me, but it's, it's like a house rule. Various moms go, you will wash your hands before you eat. And it's almost religious for them. Now, Jesus doesn't get into a discussion about how valuable it is to wash your hands, keep germs off it, and clean, and so forth and so on. He basically looks at them and shoves them back. He answered them, and why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Which is really the place we in religion get to. We're always invent. Anytime you have people get together in a society, practices happen. And it's great when they happen in a family, a tradition. I, it didn't take long for our kids to know what Christmas morning had to look like. If Christmas morning did not have, what's the rule? You had to come down in your pajamas. It couldn't be before six. Coffee had to be made before presents were opened. You could open the stockings without the coffee being fully brewed. And it's amazing how pharisaical they got and how quickly. And then there were the rebellious people. It didn't happen in our kids, but it happened in my family. My sister, who is sort of like... Doug and I and were the, the, the Roman Catholic Church and Heather was the Protestant. Let's do it differently, she would say. Let's open presents on Christmas Eve. So we burned her. <laughs> because this is serious business. Tradition must be kept. Now the only benefit of tradition in a family is um, if you become the purveyor and the police of that tradition, you get to be in power. Um, and there's no other tradition, there is no other thing. Your family is not the kingdom of heaven where there are rules about how you as a Wilson or as a whatever live. But in the church there is, with God there is. And the Lord, he says, why do you transgress the commandment of God for this tradition? Because that's where it really comes down to it. Tradition is merely a law. Just like manners. Manners, cultures, they are informally created and sometimes more formally created um, instructions of how you should live your life. How you should live, in this case, your religion. But the problem is somebody else holds that spot. Verse 4, for the God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him surely die. If you want to burn somebody, if you want to stone them, this is the ground on which you would do so. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, you need not honor his father. It was an escape clause. I've donated, you know how you do it with uh, the tax system? the IRS, 
um, and you create a trust to hide your money from the feds. That's what you're doing. You're basically saying, I know how to get rid of this to make it look like I got nothing. And they can't take it from me when I die, or I can't take it from my kids. So you tell your mom and your dad, I would have honored you. I would have shown filial piety and supported you in your, in your maturity. Uh, but I had to, um, I had, this was donated to the church. And I, I really can't go back on that as donated to the church. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Wasn't that handy? Because we, do, we treat the word of God like it was the IRS. It's a, it's something that gets, around this time of year, what is it? Tomorrow's the first. That means you have dos weekos to get your taxes in if you haven't done them. Now, I did them right before we went to Italy, and I want to tell you how freeing. Coming back from Italy, I said, I'm done with Italy, and I'm done with my taxes. I mean, what, what could be better? Weight loss, maybe. We treat the federal government and its imposition into our lives, it's showing up annually going, uh, aren't you sure you, shouldn't you pay me more? So we go through all sorts of shenanigans, get professionals to do the shenanigans, to find all the loopholes. And I don't mind that at all. I think that's well worth doing. I, I just use TurboTax because it's cheap. But with God, it's a different matter. We, but we're feeling it anyway, because as soon as someone else is telling you what you should do with your life, that's the basic war with sin. God wants to tell you what to do with your life, and you want to tell yourself what to do with your life. Now, not, this is where it gets confusing. We're not, we're hypocrites about it. Because not only do we want to not have God tell me what to do, he's not the boss of me. I replace him with religious bossinesses, which in order to be really functioning as a religious bossiness, have to be uniform and imposed on other people. They're all about your business, religious people. They can't, they can't not be about your business. And I think what the reason is, is they're trying to create, in their opinion, in their tradition, in their idea of what should be, the will of God, the word of God, Christianity, so that they can come home to their Christianity and think they are the optimum exponent of this view. Remember I said at the end of the service last week uh, that we're not in the business, we can see what is wrong in other theologies or other people's situations. Christ is seeing what's wrong with the Pharisees here. Not a problem. But at some point you need to be able to tap on your chest and say this is Christianity. What I'm experiencing is Christianity. 
but a lot of us aren't living Christianity, and we'd like to live what we want to do. This is the basic sin and righteousness question. Do you serve yourself or do you serve God? Well, wouldn't it be great if you could serve yourself and claim that it was Christianity? What you do is you create institutions who codify the way you want things to be. Have you ever seen, now, we're not this kind of church because we lack organization. Um, have you ever seen a church come up with, say, a modesty code, how long the skirt can be, that didn't match their own opinion? You know, in other words, the, the pastors didn't get together and go, oh, we came up with a new modesty uh, code, and we had thought that, you know, mid-shed would be fine, but seems like the Lord really wants miniskirts. Nobody ever comes up with a rule that doesn't match exactly what they want out of other people. And there are people in this world, yeah, you've heard me quote the Ambrose Bierce line, a Christian is a person who believes the Holy Bible is the inspired word of God and admirably suited to the spiritual needs of his neighbor. We're not only about that, we're not just taking the scripture and applying it to our neighbor, we're taking our own, our own opinion, our own buildup of what religion should be like. The Pharisees are huffy enough about their hand-washing thing and their cleanliness thing that they stop one of the most important miracle-working teachers of the age and get all blamey about it. He then quotes in verse 7, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. You recognize it from the earlier quotation. What struck me as I was reading through this is examining the actual description of these religious people. They are, you might say, orthodox in their confession. Now, they are probably orthodox in their worship. The order of service down at the tabernacle, down at the temple. The problems is not that the honor of God crossed your lips, because I trust that you honor God with your lips. He would say, confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. We want to be able to say things that are, that are glorifying to God and his gospel, always ready to make a defense for the hope that is within you. We're, we're somewhere in there. The problem is when their heart is far from me. God wants you to teach doctrine too. He wants you to worship as well. But he doesn't want it to be in vain. He doesn't want it, he doesn't want your honor to be not heartfelt. He doesn't want your worship to be pointlessly done. 
God is not accepting it. You know, you're bowing, scraping, lighting candles, doing whatever it is you do in your tradition, but vainly, without purpose. And it sums it up because they teach the doctrines of men. And then the, uh, uh, the text from Isaiah says, their fear of me is the commandment of men learned by rote, memorized organization. When we create the organization for God to live inside, we are generally creating something that's going to make up for our lack of godliness. Because I want to be honest with you, godliness, holiness of Jesus Christ, if lived, you don't ever go looking for other threads of belief. Christianity satisfies. Christianity lived in the simplest way um, doesn't need you jumping through hoops. Donating X amount to the church, going to this program, that program, and even your children become believing the gospel because they see the Christian life you led in front of them. Real Christianity doesn't need memorized, quotable catechisms. Just needs real. Now, I, 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 don't tell me I came close to saying authentic. I didn't. I didn't. Real was pretty bad. You know, we're just looking for a real Christianity. Their heart has to be close to God, to honor God with their lips. When it says in Romans 10, what we confess, what does it say? The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. You notice that? It is on your lips and in your heart. Here it's their heart far from him saying the true things about God. On their lips, on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is what we as religious people have to watch out for. We would like to create not just our sinfulness is serving ourselves rather than God. Because we're religious, we'd like our sin to be religious sin. And if it's going to be religious sin, it would be nice if you could get control of a body of believers so you, can be imp you could impose your, your stupid on other people. Because that's what you have ideas for, right? I mentioned this a few Sundays ago. An idea, a pastor comes up with an insight about the scripture. He thinks his idea was given to him so he can compel other people to believe it. That's why he has the gift of gab. That's why he gets up at 6.30 in the morning to prepare sermons. It's whatever he does, he does for the money. But he believes that his idea is supposed to be imposed on others. Because that's why you have all these faces looking at me. This is why I have a microphone. But actually, you know, actually an idea for life is that which ought to be applied to the pastor's life. We know that we're encouraged as Christians to look up to pastors for their example, not 
for their domineering instruction. But religious people really do go for this. Even if they're not pastors, they just want to be in control of some, I've seen a number, I've been reading some um, collapses of some major churches lately on the interwebs, webs, and people telling stories of the, almost the crisis of fiefdoms in these huge churches where a secretary would be, have this fiefdom that she could act in the most non-Christian abusive way she wants because it's her stuff. Almost more than in the non-Christian world. Because we tell ourselves that what we're teaching other, demanding of other people are religious doctrines. You really have to do this because it's a, it's a church basketball league. You really have to be this way because of this. It says in Matthew 6, part of the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, and it was something my, my mother always told me, because I think she probably had ample reason. Um, where your treasure is, verse 21 of chapter 6, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This tells you, remember, your heart far from God, you still can create sufficient religion to start running around imposing on other people, just like the bastard you want to be. Uh, you can have a real career in that kind of behavior. Awful people. I mean, you, you wonder, how do they get up in the morning and look at themselves in the mirror and say, I'm off to church to abuse people. But they do. They abuse people. Well, here it says, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What? Why? Because they valued what that heart gave them. They had not given up sin for righteousness because they served themselves. They want to look at what they want. They want to achieve what they want. They want to use the power of the church or the power of whatever society they're in to get them the stuff they want. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be. And if your heart is far from God, that meant your treasure was far from God. That you were trying to build a wealth that wasn't in Jesus Christ in obedience. You were trying to build a wealth having things run the way you want it. And all of us have narratives that we write out of our lives. All of us have a plan of what the next person should say to me, what my husband should say, or what my wife should say, or what my how much money my boss should offer me. Whatever it is, we've got plans of what other people should do to serve us. And we treasure the world serving us. That's why the rules in church look exactly like the person who made them. Let us know in Luke 6, a little bit, little bit of it quoted here on the left hand side the good man out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil man out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks now this is the thing that the Lord covers obviously any number of places in the very chapter we're in Matthew 15 he's covering it in the second half here 
We're talking about trying to be the religious people whose religious treasure is the will of God. And that we are after the will of God. For us. And we want to know, this is the will of God for you. That you abstain from immorality. This is the will of God. Because if you want to bring good fruit out, the good man out of his good treasure brings forth good out of his heart because he made his heart good. It's some, uh, probably no argument here. We're probably all going, yeah, that, you're saying obvious things, Captain. Verse 10, and he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And the Lord would have fit into the memoirs pretty easily. He said, oh, did I hurt your feelings? Yes, it hurts them some more. Let's make fun of you. He answered, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into the pit. One of the earliest memes, I think Bruegel has this famous painting. I don't look at paintings. Uh, I do. Of all the blind men, very medieval blind men, because Bruegel was Middle Ages leading other blind men and tumbling, the front of the line is tumbling into a ditch. It's all very comic. This short remark, this short illustrative thing the Lord mentions, we sometimes know that the concept, the blind will lead the blind, they'll all fall into the ditch. Well, but the Lord said, leave them alone. Let them. Let them alone. Christ had an opinion. These Pharisees were butting into his life and telling his disciples what they could and could not do. And he's saying, I said something that bothered them. Well, we don't want this, we don't want the sucker punch of us fixing the church. It's a temptation I have felt because I, as you know, radical Anabaptist and I whatever your doctrines. Eh. But boy, wouldn't it be neat if we could just organize this corrective? Because that's what we all want to do. We all want to create the system where you teach his doctrines the precepts of heaven. Not Billy Graham or John MacArthur or John Piper, whoever it is you're a fan of. It's so simple to step forward and to become that busybody in someone else's life and not give them over to treasuring God. Because there's that temptation to say, well, if they just had a better view of me, if they just treasured what I bring into their life as a pastor, Sunday to Sunday, um, and became super loyal and super devoted, and wouldn't that be great? We get all this done, we get this taken care of. We just do it again. At some point you gotta stop and say, people, you need to find the Lord yourself and have this dealing, your treasure in God and Christ. Not your treasure in any teacher. You can value a teacher. You can benefit from a teacher. But you say, I hope they're just talking over my shoulder as I look to Christ. 
that their description, and I look back at them, if I look back at them, I'm going to go, is that what they believe working out for them? Is what they believe making them good and their children good and their marriages good? Why would I listen to them otherwise? Because I am after my God who I treasure, there will my heart be, my heart made good, I will bring, bring forth good. Because good is... This, this goes to that, that, that thing I mentioned a few uh, Sundays ago about the importance that goodness not be the decoration ar around your life. We don't want the well-decorated church with the well-decorated liturgy or the well-decorated history or the well-decorated uh, um, or, or apologetic for whatever it is they believe. Because what you put on the outside isn't righteousness. Only what you put, or only what you do in your life, what you say, what you act like. And it's not just, it's not just food going. Food is just the illustration. Food here is, is a religious measure. Did you eat the right food? Did you have the wrong and then nowadays, you're getting all sorts of... I got potato chips the other day that were so healthy for me. I think they were just regular potato chips. But they found everything they could claim that it's gluten-free and various other things. It's just potato chips, but they were looking for all the things to speak to the modern mind about the restrictions of diet. Well, we know that people at a certain point think that diet's important. But these guys thought diet was religious. So all things, all things that I try to put on the outside measurements of godliness the culture gave me seminary knowledge of the original languages being trained how to preach Have you ever listened to somebody who was trained how to preach? It's hell is that there's um, the only word for it is unction. There's that anointed voice. And it's different in every thread of theology. If you, an anointed voice in charismatic circles will be, of course, more flamboyant. But I was, uh, went to a PCUSA church back in Virginia many years ago, and, and that guy had a believing guy, and I was PCUSA, so liberalism run amok, but when he got in the pulpit, the God voice. Because he wanted people to know that the God was speaking through him. They get trained on that. They watch videos on that stuff. How to make your Bible floppy. You know, you, if you want to... <laughs> mine is too thick and, and, and too full of notes and care to be floppy around my hand. But boy... Billy, when Billy would get out there, Bill, Billy would have one of those King James Bibles that, you know, he'd hold it like that and it just seemed like I could worship that. People train on those things because they want, they, they're trying to remember, they're trying to make religion for them to live in that's, that looks real enough but represents their own treasures. Because that's how we get into a bad state. This is not something where 
concerned about uh, <coughs> taking care of that, that isn't an important idea, you know perfectly well all over this nation churches are a, you know, awful, awful situation. God will judge. But we're trying to be different. You are trying to be different. Treasure God in Christ. It's where your heart will be. It is what part of a Christian writer you will listen to, what part of a, a church pastor you will listen to. He is only going to be there to encourage you in Christ. Explain this parable to us, Peter says in verse 15. He said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and so passes on? <coughs> That's something that nobody spends a whole lot of time on is the gastrointestinal aspects of the Lord's teaching. But it lets you know that anything that is a transfer of information to you from the outside had to enter a physical space to be communicated to you. I had to make barky noises in the air that you could then listen to and interpret those noises. Anything we would do, ritual or otherwise, are all physical things that we can, we can physically impress upon you, push into your ear, push into your eyes, push into your senses, make you eat it. But those things have no real truthness because they have entered that physical thing. But what comes out of you, on the other hand, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. You've had those sicknesses where what came out of the mouth didn't. And you called it sick, right? I'm vomiting. Can't be good. What's coming out of my mouth is not coming out of my heart. It's coming out of my stomach. Well, that's not the way it's supposed to work. We know that what we choose to say, what we choose to utter, is rife with spiritual claims and spiritual understandings and hatreds and offenses. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. Now, all of those are not spoken sins. But it's the, the mouth, just like it is a um, representative of, of uh, taking things in, giving things out, what we communicate is moved by your inertial forces. You have your passions, your wants. Whence comes wars and fightings among you, is it not? Your passions that wage war in your members. You have got a heart, a treasure that says, this is how I'm going to feel and this is how I'm going to respond. And so even murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander, these are what defile a man. When I finally do the wicked act, it's because I did it pressed by my heart that was far from God. And it didn't matter how much I said the right things. And we are sometimes very confused by famous teachers who go into some sort of nosedive in the, in the sewer. You go, but there were such strong defenders 
Well, he honored him with his lips. You could, anybody could do that. We're the ones that don't want to be that way. We want to have this continuity between your heart and your lips. And you want to stay away from being about other people's business. You say, we can't let them get away with that sin, though. Yeah, you can. They'll answer to God. Now, if somebody was in the body of believers claiming to be something in pew 17, we had 17 pews, back there, and they say, oh, yeah, I'm sure I'm cheating on my wife, but, you know, you're not supposed to be about my business. Well, it's kind of our business now, since we know. But it's not the business, the kind of creation that we build a religion around our claims to make up for a lack of heart. You want to have the kind of godliness. And when it says, in correcting in a, a sinner in Galatians, it says, any brother is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. It requires the kind of people to function in the church who have desired God, who have treasured what God is. They have been thrilled at the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't want to become that by some sneaky way of, of saying, yeah, you're really right, Evan. Why don't you make this a movement? Why don't you institutionalize this? Why don't you make people sign some document? I'm a scared of documents. This is why you can't join this church, because bad things would happen. I would become so power mad. You know, I, I kind of like that, I suppose. But we're, 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 we're awful when we start to be asked about what other people should do with their lives. Make your life holy and acceptable. Your life is the only one you really have guidance and control over. You can move you to a place where Jesus Christ will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. We read this in uh, Weight of Glory this week uh, at the reading. Um, that the glorification is of God's opinion of you, that he's able to say of you, well done. And that's really the choice. You've got you to, to run and place before him and say, Lord, what do you think? How'd I do? Well, he knows perfectly well if you were just using religion to be bossy McBossy pants about everybody else. This is what defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. I wanted to put the other half of the verse from Isaiah, or the half of the sentence, here at the bottom. After he had said, their fear of me is the commandment of men learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will again do marvelous things with this people, wonderful and marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of the discerning men shall be hid. You've received that in Christ. Isaiah, you know, being a prophet of God back in the 700s BC, looking hundreds of years into the future, looking forward to something he could not grasp what it was, but it was a marvelous thing. You have been given a marvelous thing. He wants to do in us he wants to act in us, in response to us treasuring him. Ready to pour out all sorts of graces to you. 
ready to make your life a credit. Your life one you can say, yeah, this is what's Christianity. Why don't you come over to my house and I'll show you what Christianity lives like. This is what we're about. Jesus Christ, our obedience to him, the love of the believers, the patience of the believers, the joy of the believers. It's a wonderful thing. We all could pick it up. We could all do it. And we're all looking around and saying, well, how can I remind him to do it? No, don't remind him to do it. Be it. Have done it. Live the kind of life that's a credit to our God. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're grateful. For your mercies. In your son's name. Amen.